Hey everyone, welcome to Indie Film Grit, a podcast about indie films and indie filmmakers. I am your host, Timothy Patrick, but you, you can call me Tim. In this episode, I talk with Joe Bedon. He's the producer, writer, and director of a new feature film called the God Inside My Ear. We talk about his background as a storyboard artist, as well as what it was like to take the plunge and make his first indie film. Let's get into it. And here we are with Joe Badon. Joe, thanks for being on the podcast. How are you, man? Yeah, man. Thank you for having me. I'm doing good today yeah awesome well i'm excited to have you on the on the podcast um not only to talk with you about your new feature film but uh also to pick your brain a little bit uh about uh storyboarding um yeah so you have some background in in as a storyboard artist could you go into that and maybe uh, how you got into filmmaking absolutely um Okay, so long story short, let me. I'm trying to think where to begin. First, there was the dinosaurs. No, I'm kidding. Okay. Um, so about about ten years ago, I started doing freelance art. I basically just drew a portfolio, put it online, and started getting work. And mainly, it was like uh, like writers who wanted me to draw their comic books or draw, you know, um, uh, children's books and stuff like that. I did that for a long time, and then uh, you know, I live right outside New Orleans. And mm-hmm. so we started getting a lot of uh, movies that were coming and filming down here. So I basically, I found uh, there was this website, a few websites. One was called filmneworleans.org. And there's a few different organizations that basically like uh, catalog, catalog every director, producer, every writer, every production assistant, everybody who's working in the industry down here. And it gives them their name, address, contact, like everything, emails, everything. So Mm -hmm. I basically cold emailed like probably 300, you know, emails. And from that, um, I started just getting jobs. I I got, um, I did a movie called Desiree. It had, um, you know, the Hellboy actor in it. I can't remember his name, but, um. You know, uh, Ron Perlman in it. Yeah, Ron Perlman. You know, I met him one time. Oh, nice. It was it was cool, man. I saw him. Uh, it was a, a fundraising thing, and I shook his hand, and I I thanked him. And the one thing I took away is he has very soft hands. <laughs> Big guy probably never worked a day in his life. You know? Yeah, well, that's true. He looks tough, but uh, soft hands. So I interrupted you. Go on, continue. No, it's fine. Um, I did a bunch of commercials like KFC and, um, uh, what is it? Volkswagen, a bunch of commercials like that. Um, I did a movie for key, uh, uh, storyboards for a movie for key and peel called, um, Keanu that came out a few years ago. Yeah, sure. The little, little cat. Anyway, so I did a bunch of storyboard stuff and I kind of started getting burnt out especially the commercial work is just grueling. Yeah. 
uh, let's let's get into that a little bit. I am excited yeah. to talk about your film, but uh, the storyboarding um, is fascinating to me. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, I storyboard a lot of my stuff, but uh, you're an actual illustrator, so you've got right. the skills. Um, <laughs> I guess my first question is, when you're storyboarding, um, what medium are you using? Are you using a program? Are you using a pen? Yeah, so I draw everything. I, my illustrations all digital. I use a Wacom Intuos tablet, mm-hmm. and I use I use GIMP, which is basically like free Photoshop. It's like poor man's Photoshop. Oh, and I haven't heard of that. I've been using that since since I started. When I first started illustration, I just didn't have the money for for Photoshop, so I used GIMP, and I got so used to it, I just stayed with it. Um, and basically, I just found a um, a template off of like Google Images that you know, shows you like, I don't know, six or nine little panels with some like lines underneath so you can write notes. Mm -hmm. And I just, I just use that for, for the template and just put it in the program and draw right on, on top of it in a layer right on top of it. Um, Oh, that's cool. Yeah. It's pretty basic. (laughs) I'm honestly very low tech in a lot of ways. Like I draw digitally, but I only use one program. I mean, there's definitely like, probably a better way around it. If you have a real program, you can probably move boards around real fast and stuff like that, which mm-hmm. would be nice. It looks like you went from storyboard artist to a uh, director, writer, producer in just one jump. Um, <laughs> I did. Yeah, I did. It's probably not the best way to do things, but, uh, you well, know, some, you- I have a friend of mine who works in the industry. I mean, like living down here in New Orleans, there's a lot of people who have worked or work in the industry. Mm-hmm. One, one thing he said was, uh, you know, um, entry level positions in movies are production assistant and director. And, uh, because everything else you kind of have to have like that, that experience for, but you know, there's first time directors all the time making like big movies and it's very funny the way that works. But I think it's because with a director, he just has to have the vision and be able to uh, like articulate that vision. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, he doesn't necessarily have to have any of the skills, which is kind of puzzling because, you know, I think this has taught me a great lesson. I already knew it. But one thing it's taught me is that, you know, you watch a movie, you'll be like, oh, man, that movie's beautiful. That director did such a good job. And you think that director did, didn't do the cinematography, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, exactly. that director didn't do the music. He's just kind of the tastemaker almost. Most of the time, unless you're Robert Rodriguez, uh, somebody else is running the camera, you know? Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, my original plan was to, I was, I was going to buy all the equipment and do it all myself. And uh, so the original plan, and you're going to laugh at me, but, you know, having seen um, Tangerine, mm-hmm. I was like totally inspired. I was like, okay. This guy shot it on an iPhone. He, I saw, I like looked up all the equipment he used. I basically started buying all that equipment, and wow. I was like, I'm just gonna do this shit myself. And um, and then I started uh, gathering actors together. And one of the first actors that I, quote unquote, hired. I mean, everybody was volunteer, but um, uh, he told me. He said, Look, I love this. I'm good friend of yours i'm gonna do it but i'm just telling you you're not gonna get the caliber of actors you want if you're telling them that you're shooting on an iphone and so 
I was like, okay, you know, I took it to heart and I just posted on Facebook. I said, you know, any, any DPs out there that would be interested in working on this movie with me. And this one guy who was already a fan of my work and he also was a fan of my daughter's, uh, my daughter does special effects makeup and he was going to get her to do one of a movie that he was working on anyway. He said, yeah, I would love to do it. He, well, first he read the script to make sure he wanted to do it. Said, you know, and he wanted to do it. And so the movie, and he, you know, he's shooting on a Sony FS7 4K. So wow. the movie automatically like just instantly jumped up. Yeah, it brought everything up to a whole new level, which was very great. Did you ever think about um, making a short film? Uh, why, why the first project uh, of full feature length? I don't ever like doing things small. Oh, okay. <laughs> and um, it's kind of like basically, this was like gonna be my if if I would only make one thing, I wanted it to be full length. It was kind of like I had been talking about making a movie for ten years to my wife, mm-hmm. and finally we were in a place financially where we could save up money and do it. Mm-hmm. And so she was like, "You can do it." And I wasn't sure if I'd ever get another chance. Right. You got the green light from the wife. You, you got to go with it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like, all right, if she's telling me I can do it and I just make a short film and never able to make another movie again, I'm going to be kicking myself, you know, in the butt. So mm-hmm. I was like, just going to go all or nothing and just jump into it. And I'm kind of that kind of person. I just always kind of jump in the deep end of things and, yeah. and figure out the way what I'm doing as I go. You know, mm-hmm. so. sure. So was it was it on paper when your wife gave you the green light, or uh, was it time to just start writing? She basically said it was cool. You can go go ahead, and, and so I started writing, mm. and um, and I had like an outline of the script, and by before you know I got the green light, but you know the, I think the original idea came from. Um, a movie called Carnival of Souls from the 60s. If you haven't seen it, definitely check it out. It's like definitely considered one of the best horror movies or at least one of the best low-budget horror movies because it was this one guy, he only made one movie. Before that, he was doing educational films for a living, and they decided just to make this horror movie that they self-funded. Hmm. It's very inf- inspirational because they because it's such a atmospheric, intense film, especially for I think it was like 63 or something. It was early 60s. And it it didn't do all the tropes that horror movies did at the time. It honestly was so like far ahead as far as the way the music felt, the way the storytelling was. Yeah. And so, uh, so Carnival of Souls was kind of the basic idea as far as some of the plot points are very similar. And then, um, and from there, there's probably like five or six other movies that kind of, uh, cherry picked ideas from would you consider the god inside my ear a horror film or is it more sci-fi I honestly if you want to put it in any category i would call it a surrealist film hmm. um but it's uh, what i've been telling people is a surrealist comedy horror is oh, probably okay. the best way i could explain it because there's a lot of comedy in it there's a lot of like thriller and and horror moments but it's all kind of like wrapped up in a 
in a surrealist package because it's I try to write it as much like a dream as possible. Yeah, yeah. I've only seen the trailer, but yeah. it's a it's a hefty trailer. There's a lot going on in there. And yeah. at uh, um, at some points it gets downright psychedelic. Yeah, and I really am intrigued by is that idea of chaos that you can still understand. Right. Yeah. So let's so. try and understand the God inside my ear. That <laughs> <laughs> your film uh, with all this buildup, I'm expecting it uh, to be insane. Can you give us it a little pretty... bit about the uh, the story? Yeah, it is pretty crazy. It's it centers around this girl named Elysia, and she um, she has this really strange breakup with her boyfriend right at the beginning of the movie, where he basically says, "Hey, I'm leaving to go." Uh, join a cult and um you know you can't you can't come with me i'm doing this by myself i have to like find the, uh, this new enlightenment and he leaves and goes off to california and um so she this breakup like blows her mind because she was too codependent on on this man mm -hmm. in her life and it kind of flips her world upside down and all of a sudden she starts seeing visions and hearing voices and having strange dreams. And then she feels like, you know, some, something's trying to communicate to her. She doesn't know if it's the God or devil or the devil or, or aliens or what it is, but something's trying to communicate something to her. And so the rest of the movie is like her on her quest to try to figure out what all of this means, you know, oh. essentially. Interesting. Now with a title like that, um, do people assume it's a religious film? You know, I haven't had that as much as I was as kind of fearing. The funny thing is, is that it is definitely um, written from my religious experiences and background. Hmm. Um, because I was actually a pastor for about 12 years. Wow. And um, I did that for a long time. and and finally realized that I was kind of part of a cult and had to like deprogram and get out of that. So there was a lot of that like in the story as far mm -hmm. as like my own experiences with cults and with, um, and with God and with who God is and what the meaning of life is. And, you know, I'm trying to like work it out myself. And mm -hmm. so it's kind of was therapy for me in some ways. Yeah, I mean, that's what filmmaking is for most of us. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, that's cool. Yeah, I mean, maybe if uh, it was called God Inside My Ear instead of The God, people right. would uh, be more confused and think it's uh, a church movie. or Because that's a whole genre, which uh, makes millions and millions of dollars. So uh, They're all so bad, too. Are they? <laughs> like the Kirk Cameron stuff or what? Like Oh, my gosh. <laughs> that saving christmas movie is like one of the worst movies ever made yeah i know it has like the worst rating on rotten tomato i think but i've never seen it i've never seen it's the film. so bad yeah <laughs> i watched it just as a joke you know and i was just oh. like it it was it was pretty terrible now let's get back to directing um yeah this being your first time directing we already you know mentioned the storyboarding how much did the storyboarding uh help you out with um when the camera's rolling 
the storyboarding was everything. Mm-hmm. Like if we wouldn't have had storyboards, I think my DP would have just run with it and done all sorts of things that I probably wasn't thinking or, or didn't want. Mm-hmm. But because we had storyboards, he could look at it and go, oh, this is the way you want it set up. This is the way we'll do it. And it was very simple. And the, I, I think the best part about this is, is that we had, we didn't have to do any pickups. We got everything, you know? Mm-hmm. I um, mean, the, the beauty of storyboards, well, one of the beautiful things about the storyboards is, in effect, you're editing the movie. Yes. You, you know Absolutely. exactly what you need and what you don't need. Yep. Well, we now, shot it in 13 days. 13 days you shot this. Yes. How'd that go? It was very fast. And I think the funny thing is my editor, who was also assistant director, he called me Ed Wood the whole time because we didn't have a lot of time. Honestly, it was supposed to be 12 days when we went, when we went one day over. And I was self-funding this. And so we spent $8,000 on the movie and in 13 days. And I was literally, that was like all my savings. Right. And so I knew what we had and how much time we had. And so if a shot was good, it was like, all right, good, let's keep going. And so I'd like, I'd say half of the shots were one takes. Wow. And, and, um, I was definitely sweating that going into the editing. So I was like, okay, we don't have another take on this. Hopefully it works. And my editor, who was also, of course, the assistant director, I mean, the assistant cameraman, he has been such a whiz as far as that, you know, goes because we've had scenes where it's like, oh crap, we got this person in the shot. It shouldn't be in the shot, but oh, luckily we shot with sticks. So we're, we're able to like mask that person out and, Mm-hmm. So we've had to do some of those things, you know, here and there um, that I think the next time I shoot, definitely do at least two or three takes on each shot. But of mm. course, I'll have more money and time, which will which will be good. Also, you know, one thing that I regret not doing was with actors, they're so eager to jump into the scenes. And I would I would say, listen, you just wait three seconds. I was going to say action. You know, count to three and then get started. And it was like never happened. Um, and what's I the advantage I, of that? What are you trying to uh, achieve with that maneuver? You know, there was something about like giving characters time to just sit there that, that I, that we need sometimes mm-hmm. during editing. Right. Right. Um, with the director of Tangerine, actually, I just read an article with him. And he said for his new movie, The Florida Project, he he did every every dialogue scene. He would shoot one take where no one said anything, and everyone just felt the words. Yeah. And and I think the next time I shoot, I think I might do the same thing. That's brilliant. You get all the facial expressions you need. Yeah, so brilliant. Exactly. Hmm. And so. Um, I thought that was really pretty damn cool. But, you know, like we've, we've been able to, to, to work around, to use the, the, the footage we have. We're using a lot of footage where it's like just still setting up the shot and we're just able to use the footage while the, 
the actors just sitting there. You know, we're we're using like every piece of footage we can. Sure. You know. Yeah. Which which has been pretty interesting, or like running something backwards just just to make it work in a scene and stuff like that. Just kind of making it to where it doesn't you're not able to tell is kind of the uh, the the artistry of it. You know. Mm-hmm. What about the soundtrack? Why don't you tell me about the music for the film? Yeah, music has been like a hybrid. I think one thing I've I've been telling everybody from the very beginning is I want this to to sound like feel like a mixtape. Um, just finding like very strange music. Um, I've been using a lot of music from freesound uh, freesound.org and freemusicarchive.org, and they just have a wealth of like public domain and attribution only. Uh, songs that are just out the box strange hmm. and also i'm creating some music and i have uh, uh a musician friend casey contrary who's doing some music for the for the film and then another friend uh jason krupa and i have a couple other friends michael walworth doing some just some different friends of mine that that are musicians and um and so i'm trying to kind of be all over the place there's a lot of jazz in this because hmm. You know, one one influence. So I re- I basically gave everybody references, including myself, but everybody in the crew, and um, I gave them references for everything: the way the mu- movie looks, the way the the, uh, m- the movie sounds, the way everything, the whole package. And one thing I did was gave everybody references for the soundtrack, and Suspiria was one of the references. Um, Elevator to the Gallows, which is an old uh, Miles Davis soundtrack. Nice. Or an old film. Um, also, uh, Three Women is a huge influence for the soundtrack of this movie, mm. which is Three Women is old Rod, uh, Robert Altman film. Um, and the soundtrack is very, the funny thing is, it's just kind of a, a surrealist drama, but the soundtrack is very horror movie. Mm. So although it, there's nothing like horror going on in the movie, it's scary as hell because it's got that old seventies flute, like horror movie soundtrack. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. So I actually found a flute flautist and paid her a few bucks to basically just, I said, here's the soundtrack to three women do something similar. So she just did a whole bunch of fills and, and frills and stuff. And we're kind of dropping that in throughout the movie. I wanted it to have like an, an otherworldly, but also an other decade kind of, uh, kind of tone to the whole movie throughout, you know? Very cool. And how many, uh, how many cuts of music do you think you used? Oh, by the end of this, the funny thing is, is there's some pieces where it's probably like two or three or four different songs or sounds that we're just layering Mm. on top especially during the psychedelic scenes and so there might be a hundred credits by the end of this <laughs> <laughs> so. that's great that's uh when you're going that big it's it's good to have those uh, royalty free music uh tracks huh absolutely so the god inside my ear you already mentioned you're going to hit the festivals hard um yes do you have a strategy on that once the movie gets finished, once we're finished editing, which should be in the end of December, um, for the next year, I'm going to submit one 
to one new festival a week. So, you know, 52 festivals for the next year. And of course, you know, hopefully half will actually get into, you know, I know how, I know it's a really low count as far as you know, actually getting into festivals. I'm sure I'll hit, I'm sure I'll get in smaller ones, but, you know, uh, I'm really f having my fingers crossed for Fantastic Fest and Tribeca. Those two are kind of like what I'm, the bigger ones that I'm shooting for. I think Fantastic Fest, I think this movie fits right into that that genre that Fantastic Fest really looks for, that kind of exploitation cult film. Cool, man. Well, I wish I wish the best uh, as far as the festivals go. I hope you win yeah. many awards. Yeah, thank you. And we should be actually putting out one of uh, a scene in about a week or so. Nice. Uh, just a little kind of little teaser, you know, just kind of keep interest up too. And then after the festivals, are you going to um, self-distribute? I do have a couple studios already interested because um, I have a friend who kind of has connections kind of, you know, and mm -hmm. so um, started sending out my trailer to all the connections that he had. And um, I had one that was already like, as soon as you get the screener, send it to me because I'm very interested. And, um, and they, okay. they buy the movies. So, so I mean, that's what I'm hoping for is that I just sell the movie outright. That way I can make a little money off of it and then take some of it and make another movie. Um, that's what I wanted to hear. Yeah, <laughs> that's the plan. Now, if that doesn't work out, then I'm considering options. I'm kind of thinking if no studios pick it up, I've already had a lot of experience with Kickstarter doing mm -hmm. comics. And so I was thinking, well, if no studios pick it up, I post it on Kickstarter to do to self distribute. And that gets a lot of studio attention as well, doing Kickstarters. Mm -hmm. um, so I've actually sold a couple scripts of uh, a couple of my comic books to directors or writers you know the rights to them to actually to make them into uh to movies of course those never sold past that and they weren't didn't make really anything off of it um but it was just the idea that m movies and studios and 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 filmmakers are have their eyeballs glued to whatever kickstarters putting out yeah, and it's a it's a great opportunity to build your audience before the film yes. even even comes out. Exactly. So that was an idea as well, kind of like okay, no studios pick it up from this twenty or thirty festivals that we do, then Kickstarter. That way, I get it out to a, bunch, a new audience, and then after that, I have the money to then probably do Distriber. I'm definitely looking at Distriber right now. Mm -hmm as as that that's like last ditch option you know yeah so if if you if things do go the right way and you're able to make another film uh how are you going to approach it differently this time hmm um i think this time i'm going to give myself more time of course mm -hmm. give myself more money so just because last time i I did the wardrobe, the props, and the food, and directed. Mm. And that was the stupidest thing in the world. 
you know, of course my family helped out, my wife helped out a, a bunch. Um, but it was, it gave me so little time to like focus on directing, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, of course, next time everything's going to, I'm going to make sure I pay everyone mm. and I pay for everyone to do those other jobs. That way I can just focus on, you know, steering the ship essentially. Yeah. Um, I think that's a big thing. Also, I definitely want to approach storytelling differently. I'm really, like I said, very interested in making storytelling as insane and chaotic as possible, but still tell a story at the same time. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of like, I'm already, I'm already like, um, outlining the next script and I want to make a movie that is more interpretive that people, everyone has a different experience when they watch it, you know? And so as far as storytelling goes, you definitely want to approach storytelling a little differently. All right, Joe. Well, thanks, man. This was, this was a very informative, uh, episode. I, I, I really want to see your film now. Hell yeah. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Yeah. No as problem. soon as, uh, as soon as we are ready to launch it, I will, uh, send you an email and hopefully it comes around where you live. Where are you based out? I'm of? in LA, Los Angeles. Oh, well, there you go. All right, cool. Well, hopefully we'll do, we'll do a film festival somewhere around there. Yeah. That'd be great so, to, to, to meet up with you and, and watch your film at a, at a screening. That'd be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, uh, once again, uh, Joe Badon, thanks for being on the podcast, man. Really, really good, uh, info. Yeah, thank you for having me. I really am excited. I appreciate it. Well, that's that. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Indie Film Grit Podcast. Feel free to go to our website and check out the show notes, IndieFilmGrit.com. Follow us on Twitter, at IndieFilmGrit. And don't forget, subscribe to us on iTunes. Well, I should really wrap this up, but before I go... Let me ask you something. Do you have the courage, the passion, and the perseverance to make indie films? Do you have enough indie film grit?